Chapter 5 of A Red Wallflower. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Jennifer Painter. A Red Wallflower by Susan Warner. Chapter 5 Contamination. The lessons went on, and the interest on both sides knew no flagging. Dallas had begun by way of experiment, and he was quite contented with his success. In his room, over Latin and botany, at her own home, over history and the boxes of coins, he and Esther daily spent a good deal of time together. They were pleasant enough hours to him, but to her they were sources of life-giving nourishment and delight. The girl had been leading a forlorn existence, mentally in a desert and alone and, added to that, with an unappeased longing for her departed mother, and silent, quiet, wearing grief for the loss of her. Even now, her features often settled into the dullness which had so struck Dallas. But gradually, there was a lightening and lifting of the cloud. When studying, she was wholly intent on her business, and when talking, or reciting, or examining flowers, there was a play of life and thought and feeling in her face, which was a constant study to her young teacher, as well as pleasure, for the change was his work. He read indications of strong capacity. He saw the tokens of rare sensitiveness and delicacy. He saw there was a power of feeling, as well as a capacity for suffering, covered by the quiet composure and reserve of manner and habit, which, he knew, were rather signs of the depth of that which they covered. Esther interested him, and then she was so simply upright and honest, and so noble in all her thoughts, so high-bred by nature as well as education, that her young teacher's estimation constantly grew, and to interest was soon added liking. He had half expected that when the novelty was off, the pleasure of study would be found to falter, but it was no such matter. Esther studied as honestly as if she had been a fifth-form boy at a good school, with a delight in it which boys at school, in any form, rarely bring to their work. She studied absorbedly, eagerly, persistently. Whatever pleasure she might get by the way, she was plainly bent on learning, and she learned, of course, fast. And in the botanical studies they carried on together, and in the historical studies which had the coins for an illumination, the child showed as keen enjoyment as other girls of her age were wont to feel in a storybook or in games and plays. Of games and plays Esther knew nothing. She had no young companions and had never known any. Her intercourse had been almost solely with father and mother, and now only the father was left to her. She would have been in danger of growing morbid in her sorrow and loneliness, and her whole nature might have been permanently and without remedy dwarfed, if at this time of her life she had been left to grow like the wild things in the woods, without sympathy or care. For some human plants need a good deal of both to develop them to their full richness and fragrance, and Esther was one of these. The loss of her mother had threatened to be an irreparable injury to her, Colonel Gainsborough was a tenderly affectionate father. Still, like a good many men, 
he did not understand child nature, could not adapt himself to it, had no sort of notion of its wants, and no comprehension that it either needed or could receive and return his sympathy. So he did not give sympathy to his child, nor dreamed that she was in danger of starving for want of it. Indeed, he had never in his life given much sympathy to anybody except his wife, and in the loss of his wife, Colonel Gainsborough thought so much of himself was lost that the remainder probably would not last long. He thought himself wounded to death, that it might be desirable and that it might be duty to live for his daughter's sake, was an idea that had never entered his very masculine heart. Yet Colonel Gainsborough was a good man and even had the power of being a tender one. He had been that towards his wife, but when she died he felt that life had gone from him. All this, more or less, young Dallas came to discern and understand in the course of his associations with the father and daughter, and now it was with a little pardonable pride and a good deal of growing tenderness for the child that he saw the change going on in Esther. She was always, now as before, quiet as a mouse in her father's presence. Truly, she was quiet as a mouse everywhere. But under the outward quiet, Dallas could see now the impulse and throb of the strong and sensitive life within, the stir of interest and purpose and hope, the waking up of the whole nature, and he saw that it was a nature of great power and beauty. It was no wonder that the face through which this nature shone was one of rare power and beauty too. Others could see that besides him. What a handsome little girl that is! remarked the elder Dallas one evening. Esther had just left the house, and his son had come into the room. "'Seems to me that she is here a great deal,' Mrs. Dallas said after a pause. The remark about Esther's good looks called forth no response. "'I see her coming and going pretty nearly every day.' "'Quite every day,' her son answered. "'And you go there every day?' "'I do, about that.' Very warm intercourse. I don't know, not necessarily, said young Dallas. The classics are rather cool, and numismatics refreshing and composing. Numismatics? You're not teaching that child numismatics, I suppose. She is teaching me. Mrs. Dallas was silent now, with a dissatisfied expression. Her husband repeated his former remark. She's a handsome little maid. Are you teaching her, Pitt? A little, sir. What, pray, if I may ask? Teaching her to support existence. It about comes to that. I do not understand you, I confess. You are oracular. I did not understand her until lately. It is what nobody else does, by the way. Why should not anybody else understand her? Mrs. Dallas asked. Should, but they do not. That's a common case, you know, mother. She has a father. What's the matter with him? He thinks a good deal is the matter with him. Regularly hipped, said the elder Dallas. He has never held his head up since his wife died. He fancies he is going after her as fast as he can go. Perhaps he is. Such fancies are often fatal. It would do him good to look after his child, Mrs. Dallas said. I wish you would put that in his head, mother. Does he not look after her? In a sort of way. 
He knows where she is and where she goes. He has a sort of outward care of her, and so far it is very particular care. But there it stops. She ought to be sent to school. There is no school here fit for her. Then she should be sent away, where there is a school fit for her. Tell the Colonel so. I shall not meddle in Colonel Gainsborough's affairs, said Mrs. Dallas, bridling a little. He is able to manage them himself, or he thinks he is, which comes to the same thing. But I should say that child might be better in any other hands than his. Well, she is not shut up to them, said young Dallas, since I have taken her in hand. He strolled out of the room as he spoke, and the two elder people were left together. Silence reigned between them till the sound of his steps had quite ceased to be heard. Mrs. Dallas was working at some wool embroidery and taking her stitches with a thoughtful brow. Her husband in his easy chair was carelessly turning over the pages of a newspaper. They were a contrast. She had a tall, commanding figure, a gracious but dignified manner, and a very handsome, stately face. There was nothing commanding and nothing gracious about Mr. Dallas. His figure was rather small and his manner insignificant. He was not a handsome man either, though he may be said to have but just missed it, for his features were certainly good, but he did miss it. Nobody spoke in praise of Mr. Dallas's appearance. Yet his face showed sense, his eyes were shrewd, if they were also cold, and the mouth was good, but the man's whole air was unsympathetic. It was courteous enough, and he was careful and particular in his dress. Indeed, Mr. Dallas was careful of all that belonged to him. He wore long English whiskers of sandy hair, the head crop being very thin and kept very close. Hildebrand, said Mrs. Dallas, when the sound of her son's footsteps had died away, when are you going to send Pitt to college? Mr. Dallas turned another page of his newspaper and did not hurry his answer. Why? And where are you going to send him? Really, said Mr. Dallas, without ceasing his contemplation of the page before him, I do not know. I have not considered the matter lately. Do you remember he is eighteen? I thought you were not ready to let him go yet. Mrs. Dallas stopped her embroidery and sighed. But he must go, husband. Mr. Dallas made no answer. He seemed not to find the question pressing. Mrs. Dallas sat looking at him now, neglecting her work. You have got to make up your mind to it, and so have I, she went on presently. He is ready for college. All this pottering over the classics with Colonel Gainsborough doesn't amount to anything. It keeps him out of idleness, if Pitt ever could be idle. But he has got to go to college, after all, sooner or later. He must go, she repeated with another sigh. No special hurry that I see. What's gained by delay? He's eighteen. That's long enough for him to have lived in a place like this. If I had my way, Hildebrand, I should send him to England. England? Mr. Dallas put down his paper now and looked at his wife. What had got into her head? Oxford is better than the things they call colleges in this country. Yes, but it is farther off. That's not a bad thing in some respects. 
Hildebrand, you don't want Pitt to be formed upon the model of things in this country. You would not have him get radical ideas or puritanical. Not much danger. I don't know. Who's to put them in his head? Gainsborough is not a bit of a radical. He is not one of us, said Mrs. Dallas, and Pitt is very independent and takes his own views from nobody or from anybody. See, he's educating this girl now. Educating her? Yes, he is with her and her father a great piece of every day, reading and talking and walking and drying flowers and giving lessons. I don't know what all they are doing, but in my opinion, Pitt might be better employed. That won't last, said the father with a half laugh. What ought not to last had better not be begun, Mrs. Dallas said sententiously. There was a pause. What are you afraid of, wife? I'm afraid of Pitt's wasting his time. You have never been willing to have him go until now. I thought you stood in the way. He was not wasting his time until lately. He was as well at home. But there must come an end to that, the mother said, with another slight sigh. She was not a woman given to sighing. It meant much from her. But England, said Mr. Dallas, what's your notion about England? Oxford is very well, but the ocean lies between. Where would you send him? I'd send him to the best there is on this side. That's not Oxford. I believe it would be good for him to be out of this country for a while. Forget some of his American notions and get right English ones. Pitt is a little too independent. The elder Dallas caressed his whiskers and pondered. If the truth were told, he had been about as unwilling to let his son go away from home as ever his mother could be. Pitt was simply the delight and pride of both their hearts, the one thing they lived for, the centre of all hopes and the end of all undertakings. No doubt he must go to college, but the evil day had been pushed far off, as far as possible. Pitt was a son for parents to be proud of. He had the good qualities of both father and mother, with some added of his own, which they did not share, and which perhaps therefore increased their interest in him. I expect he will have a word to say about the matter himself, the father remarked. Oh well, there's no raging hurry, wife. Husband, it would be a good thing for him to see the English church as it is in England before he gets much older. What then? He would learn to value it, the cathedrals and the noble services in them and the bishops and the feeling that everybody around him goes the same way. There is a great deal of power in that. Pitt would be impressed by it. By the feeling that everybody around him goes that way? Not he. That's quite as likely to stir him up to go another way. It don't work so, Hildebrand. You think he's a likely fellow to be talked over into anything? No, but he would be influenced. Nobody would try to talk him over, and without knowing it, he would feel the influence. He couldn't help it. All the influence at Oxford would be the right way. Afraid of the colonel, I don't think you need. He hasn't spirit enough left in him for proselytising. I'm not speaking of anybody in particular. I am afraid of the air here. Mr. Dallas laughed a little. 
but his face took a shade of gravity it had not worn. Must he send his son away? What would the house be without him? End of chapter 5